The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. It's 2015, and Angelina Lohalith is running a 15,000-meter race. That's about nine miles. It was not that easy. I believe if I do something hard, then that is the time I believe that I'm strong enough. She's racing on a trail through the dry, rocky hills in northwest Kenya. The weather was so hot. The terrain is uneven. She's running as hard as she can. And she sees the other runners dropping out, one by one. But she keeps pushing. And on top of everything... I was running with a bare feet, without shoes. Angelina didn't have shoes. None of the runners did. I got so many injuries, and I had so many stitches. She was running on the trail, getting cuts and bruises all over her legs. But I didn't give up. I struggled until to the finish line. When she finally made it to the finish line, Angelina was one of the top runners. When she ran that race, Angelina was living at a refugee camp in Kenya. All the runners that day were refugees. And she didn't know then, but that race would eventually take her all the way to the Olympics. I'm Kareem Maddox, and this is The Greatness. Basketball has opened up a lot of doors for me. It's led to places and opportunities that I don't know if I would have had if I didn't play. But for a lot of people all around the world, sports can be a way to a better life. A way out of poverty. For Angelina, it was a way out of the refugee camp where she had lived most of her life. But what happens when the stakes of a competition are so much higher than a gold medal? Angelina grew up in the mountains in South Sudan. She would run sometimes as a little kid when her mom would send her out for chores. I always like going running. Because, you know, mothers, they always like to, you have to do something. And so most of the time, if she sent me, I have to run. Angelina would help get the water and look after the animals. Her father kept a herd of cattle, and they had goats, too. I was taking care of the goats. I, I like animals a lot. I like the nature. 
But away from her family's quiet home, a civil war was raging in Sudan. The war started in 1983 and went on for over two decades. When Angelina was still just a kid, only five or six years old, fighting escalated in the southern part of the country. The Sudanese government and militia groups attacked civilians, burned down villages, and destroyed crops. We had a conflict with a nearby community that there was a lot of war. People, so many people were killed. We could not stay within our communities. It wasn't safe at home, so her family spent nights hiding out in the bush. Most of the time during the night, we sleep in the bush. Then maybe during the day, we come out out of the bush maybe to sleep. Angelina doesn't remember too much about this time in her life. She was so young. But she remembers that at some point, her family had to leave. I was still a child when we were forced to run to a nearby community. We were not able to assess the food because everything was burned down. Everywhere they went, they saw destruction. Towns, fields, houses, it was all burned down. And there was landmines everywhere. Landmines. Just walking in the wrong place, you could lose a foot or a leg. You could die. Angelina's parents knew they had to get their kids out of Sudan. But it happened that there was one of one of our relatives who decided to bring some of the kids to Kakuma refugee camp. So I joined them to come together because they were told that it will be safe and we'll be able to get a chance to, uh, to maybe to study, to go to school there. Angelina and her aunt were able to get a spot on board a vehicle carrying food. It was run by the UNHCR. That's the UN High Commission for Refugees. They work all over the world in refugee camps as well as conflict zones, bringing food and aid to different communities and resettling people in new countries. The vehicle Angelina got on was headed south to a refugee camp in northern Kenya. It was also my first time to be carried by the vehicle. It was kind of something that I could feel. I could not even feel comfortable to be carried by a, a vehicle because if I remember very well, in fact, I was just crying. I, was, I could not even touch a car. And then we had no choice. We have to be carried with fear. The, long, the journey was very long and the road was very also not that safe. But by God's grace, we managed to get to the camps. Angelina was just six years old when she left her parents. After days on the truck, Angelina finally got to her destination, a place called the Kakuma Refugee Camp. Kakuma was created in the 90s as a refuge for people fleeing the civil war in Sudan. Today, almost 200,000 people live there, about the same population as Augusta, Georgia, or Salt Lake City. And it doesn't really make sense anymore to call Kakuma a camp. It's been around for so long that the early residents have had children, and then their kids have had kids. People live in simple structures, usually made out of clay, with plastic sheets for roofing. UNHCR and other aid groups provide some medical care, education, and food. Most of the time we used to go for a, during the distribution center. You can see many people lining up from the morning to maybe around 4 p.m. receiving their food. 
It's now home to refugees from all over Africa. Angelina remembers arriving there and being amazed by all the different cultures and ethnic groups. It's a place whereby there are so many people, there are thousands of them, many tribes. There are so many houses there, it is almost congested. There's a popular idea about refugees that people flee their home countries and arrive somewhere else to apply for asylum and eventually get citizenship. But that's just one kind of refugee story. Millions of other refugees live their whole lives in places like Kakuma. And if they're not citizens, if they only have refugee status, then they don't have the kinds of rights that citizens have. They might not be able to go to school or vote or work. They often can't travel freely within their host country or across borders. In Kakuma, refugees aren't even allowed to leave the camp without a special pass. Angelina eventually got used to life at Kakuma and to life without her parents. She had to. And then, more than 10 years later, someone came to the camp who could change Angelina's life forever. Hi, my name's Ben Lewis, host of the new series, Art Bust, scandalous stories of the art world. I'll explore some of the most shocking art crimes and biggest scandals. I know it's a cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true. There's no honor among thieves. I would like the European and Western countries, including the United States, to recognize their crimes. It's about murder in the name of art. Tune in to Art Bust, scandalous stories of the art world, an Antica and USG audio production, available wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Let's rewind for a moment to a press conference from the 1994 Winter Olympics in Norway. In the audience is a sports reporter named Brian Kazanov. He's been to 17 different Olympic Games. And starting with the Winter Olympics in Calgary, 88, I've covered every single one, and that makes nine winter and eight summer. And in 1994, Brian went to this press conference to see the most famous athlete from those games, Johan Olav Koss. Koss was the big star. He won three gold medals in speed skating, set world records in each of his three races. And after the race was over, um, his final race, uh, he said that any sort of money that he uh, got from winning would be money that he would donate to a group called Olympic Aid. Olympic Aid. Most people had never heard of it before. 
It was a nonprofit. Which was using the Olympic Games and the, the morals and standards that they represent to help other people in other parts of the world. And he even took his speed skates that he used to win his gold medals and he sold them, he auctioned them. And he used the money to buy sports equipment for people in various regions in the world who were afflicted by war and poverty and so forth. Soon enough, Brian was traveling with Olympic aid. I think it was about three months later when we went into East Africa and started, you know, passing around sports equipment. It's a very noble and tall goal to try to pass out a few soccer balls and create world peace. Of course, there's a long history to this idea. Remember in the first episode how the founder of the modern Olympics in the late 1800s thought that the Olympics could be a so-called civilizing force? Olympic aid was a kind of updated version of that idea. Since the beginning, these kinds of charity efforts have been criticized for being paternalistic or ineffective. These are big organizations from Western countries with some kind of idea about how to solve the problems of people in poor countries. Sometimes countries they know very little about. But the Olympics is a massive organization with international reach and tons of money and resources. And for years, almost none of those resources went to places like Somalia or Kenya or Bangladesh. And sports, some people think that they make the lives of kids in those places just a little bit better. Angelina was 19 years old when a similar sports organization came to Kakuma. It was run by a famous Kenyan marathoner named Tegla Larupe. Larupe won the NYC Marathon two years in a row. 1994 and 1995. And she competed in three different Olympics. And for decades, she used her influence and money to help other athletes. When Tekla came and uh, recruited some of us, we did a volunteering test. She gave us a trial with a group. Tegla would often go to refugee camps to scout for talented runners. And she'd do it by holding a race. That's why Angelina raced barefoot at Kakuma that day. I just told, if you run, there is, a, there is a gift ahead of you. If you run, there's a gift ahead of you. Angelina didn't know what it was, but she thought... Okay, let me compete so that I can become the one and see the, what is the gift ahead of us. I make it to the finishing. By the time I finish, I felt so tired. I got so much pain, but I was so happy to finish because we were told that once when you get a good position, you'll be able to, you'll be able to go for more training. The gift was an invitation to leave Kakuma and move to a training camp. Larupe invited Angelina and the other top runners to become full-time athletes. Angelina said yes. It meant saying goodbye to the place that she had lived since she was six. She'd already left her family once when she fled South Sudan. She hadn't seen her parents since then. And now she'd have to say goodbye to the community she'd had for the past 13 years. It was kind of a, a mixed feelings whereby happy and sad at the same time because leaving the, those who were close to me that I was staying, because I didn't know when will I be coming back to visit them. 
But Angelina knew that leaving Kakuma gave her a chance, a shot at a different life. The athletes went to a town on the outskirts of Kenya's capital, Nairobi. There, they were given running shoes and athletic clothes, and they started a training regimen. The time we came to the camp or to join the uh, training camp, we were not catch, catch up with our training. We didn't know how people do the running, or the running style, or the program, how do they do it. So we didn't even have a fixed program to follow because uh, 100% we didn't understand. So they started practicing, running three times a day, as well as strength training. The altitude at the training camp was 5,000 feet higher than Kakuma, and the terrain was different too, full of steep slopes and dense forests. It was hard. Angelina had never done anything like this before. Angelina moved to the training camp in 2015, just as the IOC announced that a new team would be competing in the 2016 Olympics in Rio. The International Olympic Committee has decided to uh, invite the highest uh, qualified refugee athletes uh, to uh, the uh, Olympic Games in uh, Rio de Janeiro. A team made up of refugees. Instead of playing for the same country, they'd be representing displaced people around the world. The value of uh, solidarity is uh, also an Olympic uh, value. Uh, the International Olympic uh, Committee is uh, trying to assist in uh, this uh, refugee uh, crisis. Brian says that people have been pushing for a refugee team for years. It was a natural extension of groups like Olympic Aid. The idea of putting a refugee team together for those who are not just stateless, but teamless, um, more to the point, is really um, an outgrowth of this concept of everybody has a chance to be an Olympian. Everybody should have a chance to be an Olympian. And every athlete should have a shot at the kind of rewards Olympians can get. Depending on their situation, they may have very little hope in their own lives um, because they're, they're struggling just to survive. Uh, this gives them a chance not only to survive, but to thrive. Usually, athletes get to the Olympics through qualifying matches. They compete against other great athletes and see if they might stand a chance at the games. But at the training camp in Kenya, the runners were selected for the Olympics based on improvement. So there was a lot of pressure, so we have to we were putting more effort training as a team. Angelina and the other runners worked for weeks to improve their times. And finally, the day came to find out. So we were calling the uh, in a hall to wait for the result. And the name they were being called, one by one. They were calling one of my colleagues. Then my name followed. Uh, I could not cry, I could not smile, I could not do, I was just like, I did nothing in fact. I just felt so happiness that I cannot even show. The 2016 games in Rio came in the middle of a global refugee crisis, one that's still going on. By that summer, the Syrian civil war had created over 3 million new refugees. Governments around the world were responding. Some were choosing to close down their borders. 
Others invited more refugees in. And Donald Trump was campaigning around the U.S., spreading fear about refugees. We're like an open gate. People just walk across. They walk into our country. We don't know who they are. We don't know where they've come from. And by the way, speaking of that, the migration, the people from Syria, we don't know. Are they ISIS? Are they not? They're not coming into this country, okay? They can't. People around the world were paying more attention to refugees than they had in decades. And suddenly, Angelina and her new teammates were celebrities, and every media outlet wanted to feature them. The team included people from South Sudan, Syria, the Congo. They didn't really have much in common, but they understood that they were being asked to help raise the profile of refugees everywhere, to help people see the human cost of war and violence and poverty. We are now the ambassadors for other refugees or for the uh, displaced people who are back at home. So we, we knew that now it is the, uh, the ball. We have a responsibility for others. We were representing many people who have been displaced, who have come from a conflict areas like us. So we knew that was the only chance and at least now they were being recognized. By the time they walked out into the opening ceremony, it seemed like everyone knew about the refugee team. They're in dark suits adorned with the Olympic logo. They're waving Olympic flags. The whole crowd comes to its feet. The crowd is roaring. And in the video, Angelina turns to a teammate with a look on her face, like, what is going on? But she's beaming. It was so amazing when we enter inside the Maracana Stadium and all the people, they were standing up and were coming up with uh, big clubs and with a lot of uh, shouting, waving the hand. That was our great moment that we enjoyed. We were so happy to be recognized as the first refugee to be there. So it was something which touched my heart when you are welcome and it really opened my heart, my mind and I cried for that uh, for that time and to be recognized and I see myself no longer a refugee but to see I was I see myself like anybody, a normal person. And we know that many people they are now watching us. We are now their hope. On race day, Angelina lined up for her race, the 15,000 meter. She's wearing a tank top with the Olympic flag pinned on it. Her hair is pulled back in a bun, and she looks over at the other runners. It's an impressive lineup. People who had been running competitively for years, they'd run in world championship races and earlier Olympics. And here's Angelina, lined up right next to them. She's so new to running that she's not really sure who's the strongest in the lineup. So she just focuses on her race. Let me stand firm and try to compete with them. Oh, 
She starts off strong, right in the middle of the pack. By the end of the first lap, she's losing some steam. Then she starts trailing. She's 10 meters behind them, then 20, then 50. Soon, Angelina is almost a full lap behind the lead pack, and she doesn't catch up. She finished 14, last place, about 30 seconds behind the next runner. I was not happy. You know, sometimes I only you, everyone or no one is always like to be the last because I was the last one. But I was always having a confidence or having a hope that I know these are the people that they have been training for many times. They have been having enough time to train. But for me, if I go back and then I train harder, I can able to compete with them in the front line. This is just the beginning. No one from that first refugee team won a medal in Rio, but not all of them came in last place either. In some events, like the Syrian swimmer Yusra Mardini's 100-meter heat, refugee athletes beat competitors with access to more training, better facilities, and the top coaches. Regardless of medals, the refugee team proved that they belonged in that stadium. After the race, Angelina went back to Kenya, determined to keep training, to go back to the Olympics. Being an Olympian has totally changed some parts of her life. She's well known in Kakuma, where she spends time when she's not at the training camp. The IOC is helping to pay for her college classes. She's studying community development. At school, she spends time with people who aren't refugees, and she says she's learning to deal with their misconceptions about what a refugee is and what a refugee can do. They ask me if I'm a refugee. If I say yes, then some, some of them you see uh, the expression on their face, and they will start to have a sympathy on you as if you are not, uh, you are not normal like them. Angelina wants to finish her education and become a citizen somewhere, maybe Canada or the U.S. if possible. But that's a big if. From that original refugee team of 10 athletes, only one of them now has citizenship. Angelina wants to win gold at the Tokyo Games. She's going again as part of a way bigger refugee team. There are 25 athletes this time, people originally from Venezuela and Afghanistan, Syria, Darfur, Iran, competing in a dozen different sports. How many miles are you are you putting in a day? Eight to 10 kilometers in the morning, then maybe midday, slow in the evening, that minute joking, speed work in the field, then evening joking. With five more years of training behind her, Angelina is even more confident heading into Tokyo. And she knows a gold wouldn't just be for her. It would be for refugees everywhere. For me, I felt like uh, to continue training because I believe if I continue training, maybe one day, one time, one of us can win a gold. And if one of us can win a gold, then it will, it will mean a lot to the team and to the people all over the world, especially for those who are displaced, they can also have morale that a refugee can be and do anything. 
This episode was produced by Mitchell Johnson, with production support from Alex Sujong Laughlin, Jess Shane, and Lacey Roberts. Our executive editor is Sarah Nix. Executive producing by me, Kareem Maddox, along with Greta Cohn, Josh Block, and Jessica Grimshaw. Sound design by Alex Overington. Jasmine Flott is our music supervisor. This is a USG audio podcast in collaboration with Transmitter Media. For more information, go to our website, usgaudio.com.